This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I really like the title. I, there's something about the word irresistible that is very attractive to me. I'm not exactly sure if it's all my love songs growing up, you know, that I listen to. Irresistible just sounds like, uh, it's just a, a poetic sort of word. And yet right smack in the middle of it, you're going to see a key word that's going to be important for today, and that's the word resist. And in other words, irresistible means unable to be resisted. And so a Christianity that is irresistible Most of us, uh, we feel a resistance from this world, and we feel like we're failing in reaching this world, okay? That the the soil in America is very hard, and so as a result, if you're feeling this, that is normal. It is very difficult to share one's faith today. The receptivity is not uh, very high, and yet God seems to have built an idea of saints that go into this world and even in the hardest soil, there is a breaking up of fallow ground. There is a turning and a tilling and a readying of soil to receive. Or we could call it an irresistible Christianity that even in the darkest times can see the world change. Now, uh, there's two different forms of irresistibility. Some people melt before the love of God in and through a Christian and yield their life to Christ. Others cannot refute what you are saying, and so they nail you to a cross. In other words, either way, we are meant to be irresistible, and it is meant to bring about a decision in the life of the hearers or the watchers of our life. They need to respond one way or the other. They either have to yield to Jesus Christ or they need to dispose of us. We're just too pungent for the world in which we live. So I'm going to call this the recipe for effective evangelism. This is probably going to be a little different than what you're expecting, uh, but uh, we're going to look through Ephesians 6, which I know is a very familiar passage for many of us, and I'm going to go through it a few times in different ways, but let's just go through it for our initial time. Finally, my brethren, so obviously Paul is finishing up an argument that he's been given throughout the book, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that my utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. It's interesting that this passage finishes with the very thing that I would say we might want to add on to. Oh, and while you're praying, pray for me that I would be able to boldly speak this truth. It's interesting that Paul would ask for that. It's like, Paul, you just sort of have a natural native boldness to you. No, Paul needed the exact same stuff we need. Oftentimes when I'm doing the discipleship here at Ellerslie, I'll give the illustration of a recipe for a loaf of bread. And I'll say the danger uh, that we face in Christianity isn't necessarily the absence of truth as much as the presence of poison in a recipe. For instance, if you have a a recipe for a, a loaf of bread that includes flour, and maybe it includes some water, and maybe it includes some yeast, right? 
You could say, well, you're getting there, Eric. That's a pretty good recipe. That's the way most of us are in our Christianity. We have some of the pieces, but we're missing some. Like, for instance, there's nothing to sweeten it. Like, you might want to throw in some molasses or honey or something, right? And there's nothing to add that little salts thing to it. And so you miss those two things, and you're going to find that what comes out is not poison. It just doesn't taste very good. And many of us live a version of Christianity which is like that. We are missing certain elements that are sitting there in the kitchen. Christ has made them available to us, but we are not implementing them. And as a result, we live a tepid version of Christianity. And so one of my desires today is that we would freshly pick up the tools that we've been given and begin to exercise them so that we are functionally effective in our Christian walk. And obviously, Paul just named a whole bunch of them there. And this is a conclusion. It's like, if this is all true, guys, that we've been given the grace of God, that we are literally the vessels in which God lives, then be strong in this. Walk forward and understand that you are in enemy territory and the enemy desires to destroy you. But know what your, we- what your weapons have been given you for. And that's not to fight against people, but to fight against those principalities and powers that are puppeteering the people. So pick up your weapons, pick up that which you've been given and use it and wield it so that you would be effective in this life. To stand. So this is from the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. We also call it Philip Hartman's Dictionary around here. But to stand. So when you look at the idea of standing, obviously we know what that means. If I were to say, do you know what it means to stand? Well, of course you would. You know, there's 30 definitions uh, of stand in an 1828 dictionary. I have no idea how many we would have today. I didn't even look. I went straight to the 1828 and called it good. But so I didn't pick all 30. Originally, I had it laid out. So you see, this is 28. And I figured I'm just going to, I think I have 11 in here. These are all really fascinating. But I want you to recognize this is what Paul's commission to us is. Stand. Well, what does he mean by that? Just stand up on my two feet? You see, we know that that means something. It's a spiritual stand. So to be upon the feet, that's an obvious one, to be erect, supported by the roots as a tree or other plant, notwithstanding the violence of the wind, the tree yet stands. To be on its foundation, not to be overthrown or demolished as an old castle is yet standing. To be placed or situated, to have a certain position or location. Paris stands on the Seine, London on the Thames, the Christian stands in Christ Jesus. That didn't actually say that, I had to put that in, it was just too obvious. to remain upright in a moral sense, not to fall, to be in a state of fixedness, hence to continue to endure, to be fixed or steady, not to vacillate, his mind stands unmoved, to be in or to maintain a posture of resistance or defense, approached approached with charged bayonets, the enemy will not stand, to persist, to persevere, to adhere, to abide, to be permanent, to endure, not to vanish or fade, as the color will stand." So if we were to just take an inventory very quickly on your life, are you standing in your Christian life? Like the roots of a tree sinking deep into the earth, no matter what winds and storms beat against it, that it remains standing. Are you like that old castle that still stands to this day, that abides in its position, remains exactly where it was set? Is that a description of your life? Or do you find yourself... Uh, the opposites. And that's, of course, one of the things I want to bring up is this irresistible Christianity starts with a premise point. Remember, the core word in the word irresistible is resist. And resistance, as you will soon see, has a lot to do with standing. By faith you stand, says Paul. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So the idea of standing, in other words, not just knowing intellectually, but then fixing ourselves to it, is very important. Usually during the training at Ellerslie, I'll have, uh, it's usually in the guide time. I, I try and spare the girls some of this, but I'll have one of the guys stand up. Any of you guys ever get the privilege of being that guy that stood up, by the way? No one ever returns. Uh, that, it's that guy. <laughs> So I have them stand up, and uh, I say, could someone stand up for me? And so this guy stands up, and I come up to him and shove him. It's pretty fun. Uh, And he goes flying back into his seat, uh, and he's looking around. Because that's a hard thing for a guy, by the way, uh, when you're not expecting it and you get shoved. And I go, what was that? What's wrong? And he goes, well, I didn't know you were going to shove me. Well, I go, there's your problem. You see, in Christianity, we know we're going to be shoved. 
And so as a result, if I, so I say, stand up again. Now, I am just about to shove you. That's what I tell him. It's funny, but he changes his position. He's like, what? No, if you're going to shove me, then I'm not about to fall over. That's exactly right. As a Christian, we are going to be shoved. So stand strong in the Lord. What in the world are you doing sitting around? What are you all, you know, wobbly need for? You're in the midst of a battle. So get into position. And a Christian has to recognize the place in which they live. They're in hostile territory. Didn't anyone tell you that? And so as a result, do not be shocked when you face trials of many kinds. As if some strange thing is happening to you. It's the equivalent of saying, don't be shocked when Eric comes up to you and shoves you. He does that every semester. (laughs) In other words, it comes with the package. So as a result, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Stand, and this isn't just some passive standing where you're trying to look cool. This is a wrestler's stance. This is a posture that is ready to handle a push. The two stands of the Christian. So when you understand this idea of standing, there are two ways in which we engage. We engage those that are friendly and we engage those that are against. And so in in Christianity, we stand for Christ, stand in Christ, however you would like to say. That's the idea of faith or believing. And we're also commissioned to stand against something, stand against the devil. The term for that in Scripture is resist. The two, two stands of a shepherd. Now, many of you have heard me say this before, but it's actually very, very important that I review this for this particular message. So a shepherd has a job, and he's supposed to do both of these things. He's supposed to stand for his sheep, and he's supposed to stand against the wolves. It sounds strange at first, because if you just tell a shepherd, stand against, well, then he's going to also stand against his sheep. But a a shepherd that is a good shepherd knows how to distinguish between sheep and wolves. For the sheep, he's willing to lay down his life. He's willing to receive them and carry them and comfort them. Reach into a brambly bush and even cut his own hands as he, as, he, as he pulls them out. But the wolf, he treats completely different. And in your life, the same is true. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your job description isn't to clobber people. But there is an enemy. And that enemy is deserving of a good knock in the teeth. But you need to know how to resist the devil and make sure that you love And bring that mercy and that comfort to those that God has assigned you to shepherd. So I know this is going to sound strange, especially for those of you that come from a non-resistance background, uh, that I'm going to say resistance is a God action. This isn't some statement or some doctrinal treaty on uh, resistance or non-resistance in a military sense. It's a soul sense. Those of you that have hung around here long enough know that when I'm talking about resistance, I'm talking about a soul resistance. You cannot be passive to a lustful thought and say, oh, well, I'm non-resistance. That's my uh, motto. And so therefore, whatever comes in, whatever knocks, I just open up the door. That is a terrible way to live. Okay? It'll destroy your soul. As a Christian, we must understand that God resists. Resistance is a God action. God resists. Look at that. God resists. Isn't that a fascinating statement? But he resists something very specific, the proud but gives grace unto the humble. So we have two things at work. Just like the shepherd, he's going to resist and clobber the wolves. However, he's going to offer grace to the sheep. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yes, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is literally the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ, he comes humbly. He comes seemingly vulnerable. He is offering his life. He is giving grace. And yet what is he doing? He's crushing the head of the serpent at the same time. You see, the action of God in all of us in every situation is contrary to the enemy and for God. We are receiving God's work. We are giving the love, the grace of God, at the same time resisting the work of the enemy. To resist... And this is also from the 1828 dictionary. That's what that little asterisk uh, indicates. It comes from the Latin resisto. I like that word. I'm, I'm wanting, I almost wanted to name this message resisto. 
Uh, but uh, I think I would have had to have a twirly mustache for that. <laughs> but it means, it comes from the word sisto, which is to stand. So this is what it means. Literally, to stand against. That's what resistance is. It means to stand, but against something. To withstand, hence to act in opposition or to oppose. A dam or mound resists a current of water passively by standing unmoved and interrupting its progress. An army resists the progress of an enemy actively by encountering and defeating it. The second definition is to strive against, to endeavor to counteract, defeat or frustrate. Or the third definition, to baffle, to disappoint. This is what God does to the proud. God literally stands against the forward movement of the proud. I know, it's, it's sort of a, a hard one to comprehend. I mean, good old loving God? And yet he will stand against something very specific. Resistance is a key behavior of the Christian. So even for those of you that are non-resistance in your backgrounds, I'm here to tell you, you still need to have a resistance in your soul. You need to have resistance against the spiritual powers and principalities that are seeking to destroy your life. So you may not sign up for the military, or you may be a conscientious objector. That's not what this discussion is on. However, spiritually speaking, you need to be armed and ready for battle. It's a command in Scripture. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. This is the picture of resistance. Right there. That you may be able to stand against. Remember the definition of resistance? To stand against. That you may be able to resist. Now those of you that know scripture know that the Bible also gives it very clearly. If you're missing it there, it says resist the devil. It's very clear in the fact that you are not passive and you are not a pushover to the devil and his schemes. That you are actively engaged in a position lest you fall. Having done all to stand, stand. I was pondering that this week. Having done all to stand. It's another good quiz for us, pop quiz. Are you doing everything to stand? Having done all to stand, stand. (laughs) And so Paul is laying out for us all that we need to do to stand. And so the question I could lay before us, instead of just saying, oh, that's true, are we doing it? In other words, you could know that molasses and salt need to go into your recipe. Are you sticking them in there? And so when it comes to some of the things that God is burdening us as a church with, I don't ever want to pass over the fact that sometimes we know what we ought to do and still aren't doing it. In other words, having done all to stand, stand. Well, that's exactly what I want to be saying about us. Hey, guys, are we doing everything that the Spirit of God is training us to do right now? What's he saying? He's saying, be willing to open this mouth. Be willing to go up to that person that you wouldn't normally ever talk to and share the love of Jesus with them. You see, God is burdening us, and we all have sort of a corporate burden. We feel it sort of hang out in this room and you just sort of feel that burden. And yet I want to freshly ask that, having done all to stand, stand. Are we doing all to stand? Are we doing all that God is asking of us? He who knows what he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So I don't want us to be caught knowing to do and not doing it. Having a sword down by our ankle and then someone says, didn't God give you a sword? It's like, true, and then leaving it there on the ground. Didn't God give you a shield? Well, true, but where is it? Well, it's over there. It's in my armory. In other words, you may even know that you have it, but if you're not wielding the sword and the the shield, what good is it to you? It doesn't make any sense to have a sword and shield and not use it. Could you imagine having a house? It's a dead of winter, and you're like sleeping out in the driveway, and someone's like, why don't you go inside? Don't you have a house? True, I have a house. Well, then what are you dying out here for in the sidewalk? It doesn't even make sense. And that's exactly what I would say to us. If we know to do something, do it. Having done all to stand, stand. What are the most basic requirements to standing? Well, so if we look at Ephesians 6, be strong. Yeah, I'm going to be strong. No, no, 
Be strong in the Lord. What's your position? You see, that's where we find our strength. There is strength in the Lord. And so when we are in Christ, we have access to his strength. It's a supernatural strength. You pitted against the devil, devil wins. Jesus pitted against the devil, Jesus wins. So if you're going to pick your spot, I'd get inside of Jesus. He wins every time. Be, be strong in the power of his might. Because it says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So I'm just sort of making it a full sentence. Be strong in the power of his might. So if you're going to be strong, be strong in the power of Christ's might. That's our secret. Put on the whole armor of God. Then stand in that armor. Now this isn't a study on the armor of God, even though that would be well worth our time. But God has given us all the equipment. That armor is clothing. But very specifically, it's Jesus Christ. So if you are going to function, you want to function in Christ Jesus. I've given this illustration quite a few times. But we have a strong tower. It's just sitting there and it's it's looking pretty cool. I mean, in in fact, it, it might have walls of solid diamond. I mean, other people go to Fort Knox. What's that place up in NORAD? Remember NORAD? It's like a a hiding place for the president during a time of nuclear disaster. I remember thinking, I don't know that I like being so near NORAD. Uh, uh, That's a side point. We don't need to talk about that. But Jesus is better than any NORAD. In other words, it's sitting right there and the door is wide open. Hey, Ludi, get inside. What good is it for me to come up and hug the outside of the tower? Sing a song of praise to the outside of the tower. What should I do? How about I get inside of it? The moment I get inside, those fiery arrows that the enemy's shooting at me have no effect on me. But if you're hanging on the outside just hugging the tower, those fiery arrows are still hitting you. He's given us a shield of faith to quell all the fiery darts of the evil one. How does it function? Be strong in the Lord. Use him as your covering. Use him as your salvation. Don't try and do it any other way. This is the secret of the Christian. The strange impairments of non-resistance. When you are passive in your life, all all sorts of nonsense increase in your existence. Let's imagine that you leave all your windows and doors open. Even this time of year, you can get sort of strange things. But, I mean, you you change to the middle of the, the dead of winter or the dead of summer, and what do you get? You get a whole bunch of bugs in the summer. You get a whole bunch of snow drifts uh, in the winter. In other words, your pipes will freeze. You'll have all sorts of issues in the winter. In the summer, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. If, if you just leave it open, can you imagine the bugs crawling around on you when you're trying to sleep at night? In other words, when you leave things open that are meant to be closed, everything starts to go bad. God intended us to be closed off to the devil. I know that sounds very rude because at first you hear that, it's like, I don't want to be closed off to people. It didn't say be closed off to people. To be closed off to the devil so that you could be open to people. You see, resistance, if it is not there, actually disqualifies you and disables you to be effective in your Christian witness. If you are not closing off to the enemy, then it will counteract your ability to love and to give life to those because the life is cut off to you. I do not just open my front door to any and everything that desires to come inside. Someone may come to the front door and want to come in and harm my wife and kids. Should I be loving to them and say, oh, well, come on in and harm my wife and kids? It doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? Well, the devil is constantly submitting things into our life that would bring harm to our spiritual existence. Should I just be passive with it and nice to those things? I have no requirement to be nice to the devil. There is no obligation that I have, no command given to love the devil. I am supposed to resist the devil and stand against him. I am not supposed to stand with him at any level. So as Christians, we oftentimes mix these things up. I thought I was supposed to be nice and kind all the time. Well, I want you to be nice and kind all the time. I really do. But to be nice and kind all the time, you need to actually be somewhat rude to one character. And that's the demonic element. In other words, do not allow that in. Do not be hospitable to the devil. The strange impairments of non-resistance. Resistance of evil and the flow of grace are tied together in God's kingdom. If we resist God, you ever done that? Eh, Not a good idea. Okay, just give you a heads up on that one. 
If we resist God, then we disable his flow of grace into our lives. You see, the moment we do not heed God, then the flow of grace in and into our life actually is hindered. And that's why I'm saying if we know to do something, we should be doing it. Because if we know to do something and we're not doing it, it immediately begins to stop up the grace flow in our life. However, if we heed God and we obey God, what that does is that actually enables the flow of grace. And that's how the Christian is meant to function. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. We say yes. And there's a flow of love. There's a flow of grace. There's a flow of kindness through us. Similarly, if we don't resist the wolves, then we cut off the flow of grace through us towards the sheep. So say you want to be a good shepherd. I really want to take good care of my sheep. So then what you have to do to be able to do that is you have to clobber the wolves. You have to keep them out. It's called a sheep pen. You don't just let them in. But if you're trying to be nice to the wolves and your sheep at the same time, what's going to happen? You're going to cut off your ability to properly love your sheep because now they're being eaten by wolves. And so as a result, to be effective as a shepherd, you need to resist the devil to be able to properly love and give grace to those God has commissioned you to love and give grace to. God has commissioned us as a body not to just give love and grace to our wives and to our children, or if you're a child, to your parents and your brothers and sisters, and not just to us as a body. Those are very clear in Scripture. that That's where the flow of grace is supposed to start. But he also tells us to love those that are unlovely out there. Those that are rejecting Christ, we still are supposed to carry his heart to them. But to be effective in doing that, we must close off the devil. You cannot live a life of compromise and live irresistible Christianity. If you want to have the sort of witness that is contagious, that causes people to make decisions, that changes people around you, you have to live well in your inner life to close doors and to shut down the work of the devil and compromise and to do that which God is asking you to do. And that's what keeps the flow of grace coming through you. The grace-empowered Christian... One who resists well the devilish business in their soul so that he or she can see the unfettered, that's like chains uh, broken, see the unfettered power of grace work or flow through them. In other words, it's an unhindered power of grace. So when we resist the devil well, it allows for a flow of grace in and through our life. Resisting God cuts off the grace. So the Bible actually talks about this quite a bit. I just took a, a few of the, the scriptures on this topic. Whoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So that can be really confusing in light of this conversation. It's like, Eric, didn't you just tell us we're supposed to resist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're supposed to resist the devil, though. Don't resist God. Those that resist God shall receive to themselves <clears throat> damnation. You know, there's just not a good idea to participate in any type of resistance. Now, this is going to be almost what we could call capital R resistance. It's like the big resistance. The Spirit of God is telling you about Jesus, telling you about his cross work, and you go, no, I don't want to hear that. All of us have a small R resistance at times. God says, talk to that person. That's called small R, okay? Let's put it in its place. That isn't necessarily what brings condemnation. That brings conviction, to our soul when we don't do it. The Holy Spirit says, I have something better for you, but to allow that grace to flow through you, I need you to learn how to obey. Can a Christian resist God? Well, that's a good question. Well, what do you think? And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Obviously, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, which would be a show of saying no to him or when he's saying something to us that we, you know, turn off our hearing. So it's obviously possible. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. You see, obviously, according to scripture, it's possible to give place to the devil. And uh, just like I could allow in bad things into my home, I could allow bad things into my thought life, I can even disagree with those things, and yet I can still allow it in. And so that's called giving place to the devil. Don't do it. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave it, I in the person of Jesus Christ. Why did Paul go through all that forgiveness? Why did he keep his soul clean before God? 
lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I've often said of our generation that I think we are ignorant of Satan's devices. And I don't think we understand that unforgiveness actually opens a door. And as a result, the devil is able to encroach upon our lives. You see, we as Christians need to be on guard. And there's things that, though the scriptures are clear on them, we are walking in ignorance of the power of the devil. He's been doing this for close to 6,000 years. He's very good at what he does, and we're not so good at what we do. That's why we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because God, uh, you can't date him back just 6,000 years. He's eternal. And he knows how to beat that enemy. And he's already defeated him. And he's given us all the tools for us to walk in the reality of that. Two realities that we mustn't be ignorant of. Satan can get an advantage on the saints. But if we do not function ignorant of the devil's schemes and we obey the word of God, Satan will be blocked out. We can give place to the devil. We can lend him territory, open a door to him, allow him to squat in our lives. That sounds funny, but have you ever heard of squatter's rights? Or, or I'll just say a squatter. We have territory and the, de- uh, the devil. Some guy comes up and builds, you know, puts a tent on the land. That's called a squatter. And so we oftentimes take the territory that was purchased by the blood of Jesus and we allow him to squat on it. He's just sort of moving in and hanging out in there and he has no right to it. However, you need to exert the authority of Jesus over that territory. So we can lend him territory, open up a door to him, allow him to squat in our life and dampen, hinder, and mar the reflection of Christ in and through our life. The dumb soldier. Now, we'll all have to admit that this is pretty dumb. Okay, now imagine that as a soldier... You don't take your gun into battle. You don't take, or maybe I should say your sword and your shield, since that's what we're talking about uh, mainly. You don't go with the regiment or, or with your battalion or whatever troop of soldiers that you're with. You don't heed anything your commander has to say. You just go straight towards the enemy. And I mean, what's going to happen to that soldier? If you're truly wearing the wrong colors, it's like, oh, I'm a Christian. I mean, it's not going to look pretty because you're the enemy to them. So you side with God you need to use the tools lest you fall in battle. The dumb soldier. A soldier that sets down his sword is a vulnerable soldier. Well, that's an understatement. In other words, if God has given you weaponry, now again, I'm not talking about actual military maneuvers here, okay? Because some of you could bring up Desmond Doss and the fact that he didn't go into war with a, a gun and it's very impressive, right? But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about being a conscientious objector in the spiritual battle. You cannot be a conscientious objector in the spiritual battle over your soul. You must be actively employed in the work of a good soldier. You've been given a weapon. Pick it up. Do not set it down. So keep your sword in hand. Some of you this morning have been caught red-handed without a sword in it. In other words, you've become lax, and so you've set down the equipment that God has given you. Pick it back up. A soldier that walks away from his camp and wanders near the enemy's camp is a vulnerable soldier. So abide in the camp with your general. It's called abiding in Christ. Just remain in Christ. If you find that you've been wandering around, get back in. A soldier that disobeys his commander and does what he thinks best rather than what the commander commands is a vulnerable soldier. So heed the word of your commander. If you find this morning that there are certain things that God has asked of you and you still have not done them, what should you do? You should repent and do them. In other words, just immediately return to the place of strength and health so that grace can flow through. The amazing thing about walking with Jesus Christ is that that grace is very near. And at any point that we have begun to wander away from the clear word of truth, just go right back to it. Pick up the sword. Pick up uh, the shield. Heed the word of your commander. Return to Christ and abide. Remain in him. So a soldier that sets down his sword, wanders from the camp, and disobeys his commander, even while doing such nonsense, is still a soldier. That's one thing I wanted to emphasize this morning, because it's, we can brush close to issues like this and just feel guilty and feel like maybe I'm a fake, maybe I, I don't have a genuine relationship with God. I, I'm, that's not necessarily what I'm trying to bring up this morning. You see, my children could disobey Daddy, they could run away, you know, with that little knapsack over their uh, shoulder down, down the road and, uh, you know, have their sleeping bag on the sidewalk. And guess what? Daddy still would say, that's my son. 
I'm not disowning them just because they're doing something they shouldn't, and they're going to be miserable for it. I mean, and hopefully that misery will turn them back and they'll be quickly at, at my doorstep again. What am I going to be doing the whole time? The same thing the prodigal's father was doing. In other words, he's not disowning his son because of his bad decisions. He's longing for his return. You see, you have enlisted, you've come under the colors of Jesus Christ. Whether you've lived that perfectly, that's not the discussion. But to return afresh to the camp, to return afresh to the way you know to live. If you've been being pushed over by the devil, rise up in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. I'm telling you right now, he's going to come and shove you. So what do you do? You get into position. So his soldierhood is not in question because of his stupidity. But the protective and empowering graces of his king are hindered while he is out doing his own thing. For instance, Leslie's, uh, what would be one of my kids' favorite meals of Leslie's? Her pizza, her homemade pizza on Friday night. Leslie's homemade pizza is not going to be enjoyed by my child who's uh, run away down the road, right? Or who got in trouble and is down in their room without dinner. Okay, in other words, the grace of Leslie's homemade pizza is unable to be enjoyed by the rebel. Did you guys hear that? All you kids, beware. But the same is true with us as Christians. God still is cooking up his Friday night homemade pizza. He still has the graces to give, but when we live in disobedience, we cut ourselves off from the benefits of the home. It does not mean we were removed from the home. It just means we're hindered from being able to partake in that familial environment called the kingdom of heaven and function in agreement with it. So why would we spend another moment in the basement, uh, that's where our kids end up. That's where their rooms are. So I don't know if you guys even have a basement. It's like, how do I get in the basement? But don't spend any time in the basement in your room in, in discipline mode, losing dinner. I mean, that's ridiculous. The smart soldier. So listen to Peter talk about the p- smart soldier. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's about to shove you guys. You see, he's seeking to devour. Resist him. That's what it says. Resist him. So you know that he is seeking to devour you. And so as a result, be watchful. Be steadfast. Because he's after you. But you have been given something greater than anything he can come against you with. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in all the world. In the world, but may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect you, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So humbly submit, doggedly resist. The secret of grace-infused living. James four. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? One of the number one ways that many of us have opened up our lives is simply through friendship with the world. And that comes in such a subtle way into our life. We live in a culture which does not prosper anything of the kingdom of heaven in our lives. For instance, when you're checking out in the grocery store line, you are not being encouraged in your faith. The front of People magazine, I don't think it's ever encouraged me in my faith. Uh, the front of the Inquirer, I don't think I've ever been encouraged in Christ Jesus as I walked by it. The culture in which we live is not designed to prosper your faith in Christ Jesus. However, it does want to woo you into a friendship to say, hey, you know about us, we'll serve you. Have you ever noticed that you have more popularity in this world, or you at least sense that you do, when you understand the, the pop culture icons, and you know when someone talks about someone, or you go, I know who they are, or you've heard one of their songs. In other words, to become a friend with the world actually gains you strength in the world's eyes. Many of you have felt that. Have you ever grew up a homeschool kid? That's dangerous territory because it's hard yet to learn your pop culture some way and your parents aren't helping. And because there is this sense of need that if you're going to survive out there, you need to somehow have a friendship with this thing called the world. You need to understand it. You need to know it somehow, some way. And yet what we see is James is actually going out of his way to say, well, you do know that that's adultery, don't you? 
you do know that you're supposed to be a friend of God. And as a result, you cannot be a friend of the world. Any more than if I'm married to Leslie, I'm going to be you know, flirting with one of the girls in here. Eric, you do know that that's an adulterous behavior, do you not? And so if you truly are a soldier of the king, don't hang out across the enemy's lines and give him the secrets. That's a Benedict Arnold. That's a betrayer. In other words, this is a side thing. Right down the middle, there's two kingdoms. You have the kingdom of light. You have the kingdom of darkness. You have the kingdom of Jesus. You have the kingdom of Lucifer. You have to choose which side you're on. And Lucifer has, has operates as the prince of the power of the air over the spirit of the age, over the systems of this world. Are we going to be with him or are we going to be with God? Moses is an incredible picture of being, one being in the world, but literally choosing to suffer in this time here on earth and decide with God instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow. Does that say it a little too uh, <clears throat> clearly? I mean, come on. That's a little too strong, don't you think? Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? The Holy Spirit yearns to keep you in Christ's kingdom, to keep you focused on the things of God jealously. Jealousy is a, is a very strong emotion. And to think that the Spirit of God is jealously yearning to see your focus on Christ instead of on the things of this world is a, is a fascinating statement. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Well, that's a pretty good summation of everything we've talked about. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Whatever God wants, do. Resist the devil. Whatever the devil wants, don't do. And he will flee from you. Listen to the concluding line here. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So you want to be established you want to be lifted up strong? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Three facts about the irresistible Christian. They humbly submit to God. Whatever God wants, their answer is yes, Lord. They doggedly resist the devil and therefore become a flow-through channel of heavenly grace. I don't know how to describe sort of this inner terrain and what it's like. I've only had one body. I've only had one life. And so I don't know exactly what goes on inside of you because I know there's different personalities. We have different hair colors, different heights, different statures. And so I know there are distinctions, but there seems to be certain things that are very similar between all of us. And that is when we're given a command, we're all supposed to appropriate it. It may look a little different out of a you know, six foot nine character compared to a five foot four character. Uh, one person is more naturally shy, one person is naturally bold. It might come across a little different. However, the doggedness against the devil needs to be the same. The humility before God that says, yes, Lord, needs to be the same. So for me, I recognize that for most of my Christian life, I was, we could call it semi-passive towards the devil. In other words, I wasn't passive, but I didn't recognize the authority I had to say no. I actually, and this is going to sound terrible, but I blamed a lot that took place in my life on God. It's like, well, God, if you were sovereign, then that wouldn't happen. Instead of, no, Eric, it's happening because the devil is sabotaging your life and you're not doing anything about it. In other words, the devil is seeking to devour you, Eric, and I told you to resist. So it's the equivalent of having a sword and then blaming God for the fact that when you went like this without the sword in your hand, the devil didn't wince. You're supposed to have the sword in your hand, Eric. You see, nothing can parry that sword. That sword cuts through the devil like he's soft butter. However, if you're not wielding that which God has given you, you can't expect the God results. It's called obedience, which is why we cannot be ignorant of the word of God. It is a weapon. 
And it trains us how to fight this battle, how to engage in our soul to win. Because what we're talking about today, ironically, isn't even the battle as much as the end. We want to be irresistible as Christians. We want to be effective in winning souls. We want people that encounter our life to be gained for Jesus. To be able to have that happen in and through our life, we must be excellent in this dimension. To be irresistible, you must be a resistant Christian towards the devil and a receptive Christian towards all God leads you towards. And as a result, you will be a flow-through channel of his love, his mercy, and his grace. They will lay hands on you and persecute you. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples turned apostles. They're now sent ones. And this is what Jesus says to them. It's pretty, uh, pretty intense. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Well, that's encouraging, Jesus. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. This is just one of the most extraordinary lines. I'm going to read it again because some of you just, you didn't fully catch it. We have, imagine this is being spoken to you. It's like, you do know that we're following in the wake of the apostles, Right? That the way they lived is the way we are called to live. Paul says, what you see and hear in me, do. So, I mean, are we actually supposed to do these things? You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. You're being delivered up to prison. So you might even be in chains as you do this. And it doesn't look like a positive situation. So everything in your mind can be saying, this stinks. God, did you forget me? Listen to this line. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. See, everything that God is doing is bringing about an occasion for testimony so that you can share that hope that you have inside of you. Hey, guys, be bold. Well, what if I get arrested? It'll be an occasion for testimony. Don't worry about that. Paul was brought before authorities. He was put in prison in Rome. And guess what? He won the Praetorian Guard, which is the strongest soldiers in all of Rome. He won them to Christ. That worked out well, God. Wink, wink. It turned into an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. Boy, that's a hard one for Eric. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. Okay, I'm going to be standing before a king. Uh, Okay, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? God says, don't settle it in your hearts. You don't need to worry about that. This is my territory. You're a vessel. I've prepared you for this. I've brought you here. This is an occasion, not just for you to speak, for me to speak through you. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Irresistible. An irresistible Christian. What's an irresistible Christian? One sent out by Jesus, one empowered by the Holy Spirit, one that does not do or say what they want to do or say but one that does and says what God is wanting to do and say through them. It's one that is resisting the devil, but receiving anything God would have to give, and in and through them flows the grace of the Holy Spirit to change nations in this case. However, in and through us, it's the same principle. You could find yourself in a situation where the Holy Spirit says, stand up, speak. I don't want to look foolish. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to give testimony. And even when it's awkward and even when it's strained, don't, you don't even need to strategize what you're going to say ahead of time. That does not mean we're not workmen approved, we don't study the scriptures and we're not prepared. It's just that it's not our prepackaged words that change anyone. And any of you that share the gospel know that. I don't just rehearse my words and then speak. They're flat as can be when I do that. However, when I make myself a vessel for the Spirit of God, it's incredible, but I'll say something that I could have never, ever said before. And I'll say something even that fits them. I'll say an exact scripture that someone said to them 10 years ago. And it's the very thing that triggers. For me, it didn't even make sense. In other words, our job is to be a flow-through channel, not to be the ones deducing and defining, but to allow God to make us irresistible. And Stephen, remember him? See, both these stories aren't the happiest of moments. Stephen is about to be stoned to death. (laughs) 
And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen. He goes into greater description of the synagogue of the freedmen. Disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So I'm not saying that being irresistible leads to just a world full of Christians. I'm saying it could lead to you being stoned, as Stephen was stoned. However, when Stephen spoke, he did not speak of his own ability. He spoke in agreement with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, he was irresistible. Finally, my brothers, Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How are we going to do this, guys? I know many of you still, when we bring up the topic of evangelism, immediately start digging in your pocket. And you're like, I just feel so weak, though. Get your hand out of your pocket. You didn't actually think that it was you that was going to change the world, did you? What are you doing that for again? It's like, oh, 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 okay. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There is a secret to evangelism that does not flow out of us or our native ability. Some of you may not be eloquent orators. Makes no difference. God doesn't say, hey, could all the eloquent orators step forth and I'll be able to use them? Some of you, I mean, maybe all you have is sign language. You're a mute. You don't even know how. I tell you what, God will use the most amazing vessels that are not amazing in the world's eyes. They become amazing because they yield themselves to communicate the truth of the gospel. That's his business. Your business is to be strong in him and in the strength and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Clothe yourself in Christ Jesus. There's only one way to do this, guys. What's your position? You're in the armor. And so when I was growing up for a whole season of my life, maybe I should do this again, I would literally go through every piece of armor every day and I would put it on very deliberately. I haven't done that in a while. I probably need to be thinking that through at a greater level. In other words, I know what the armor means. It means being in his strength, in his ability, in his power to accomplish. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You don't want to be pushed over? You don't want to fall? Then be in Christ. Be clothed, be strong in him, not in your own pocket strength. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now this part is bold, even though you can't tell because it's a separate screen. But I wanted us to finish with this thought. And for me, this is Paul saying, hey, and while you're doing all this praying... Pray for me, that the utterance may be given to me, that the utterance may be given to me. Paul, I mean, if there's any guy who doesn't need utterance, wouldn't it be Paul? And yet Paul himself says, hey, I need that utterance. What is that utterance? Call it a capital U utterance. We all have utterances. It's what we speak with our mouth. It's the clear logic or the presentation we would give. But most of us Put it together and bake it in, the mi- in our own minds, in the oven of our own minds, and bring it forth, as opposed to having it be a given utterance. That we say, God, th- I am your vessel through which you can speak. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." I think we all need to make a request of the body of Christ while they're praying with all kinds of prayers that we be remembered 
and that we would be given utterance to speak and that we would open our mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That we may speak boldly as we ought to speak. So this great evangelist who was in chains and suffered greatly because of what he spoke and because of the utterances that were given to him, he became an irresistible Christian. However, what many of us think of Paul as a, and I, I know many of us know this, but Paul means, for lack of a, a better word, short. That's what it means, diminutive. It means tiny man. Isn't that a bizarre name for a, an apostle? Yeah, he's, he's the short guy. Even in Christian history, he's known as being bald with a big Jewish nose. And of course, the guy was battered with, I mean, stone, he was stoned to death, right? And then came back to life. And so uh, a lot of people say that he had a smashed head. So not only was he small, bald, with a big Jewish nose, but he had a smashed head. If he ever went to the beach, uh, what, five times he received the lash on his back, so it would have just been a pulp. So, Paul, could you keep that shirt on, please? In other words, this guy wasn't the most attractive in the natural sense. Was it his natural attractiveness that carried the day? Was he the leading man sort of guy? And everyone, he was just irresistible to all the women, and so just tons of women came to Christ because of Paul. How did this guy do it? What was his secret? Why was he so able to turn the world on its head? It wasn't because of his physical looks, his physical prowess, his physical dominance. This man was not seven foot five, 500 pounds with a booming voice. And everyone was just like scared of him. Like, I'll just accept Christ. Paul, the irresistible Christian. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom to declaring to you the testimony of God. Paul, that wasn't very smart. Okay, if you're going to come to someone, you need to sound intelligent. I mean, put your best foot forward, buddy. So I want you to recognize what our context is. Irresistible Christianity. Irresistible Christianity isn't just well-spoken. It's not just a church that has the dazzle, that has all the programs. There's something more to that which changes the world that I want to get at. And I don't want to fall for the trap of our American cultural version of Christianity. Because we have it. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. I know most of us in here have probably read that before. We know that. But to isolate out that scripture and say, so how was Paul amongst the Corinthians? Yeah, he was in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. That just doesn't sound like the Paul that I esteem. That he would be weak, that he would even feel weak. How's your evangelism going? Well, let's see. It's, it sort of feels like it, I'm in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Huh. I can identify with this guy. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. See, Paul's secret was exactly what we're talking about today. It wasn't that he was the full package, the way we would dream it need to be but that he was actually a weak man who humbled himself before God and said, God, if you don't flow through me, these people will never be changed. So here you are. Here is this vessel. I will do what you ask me to do. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So wherever you are at appropriating this message... For some of you, it just means to freshly pick up the sword. For some of you, it might be the first time that you've ever heard of what I call the growl, where you actually need to have a doggedness in your soul and start saying no to the devil. This doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It just means you're a pushover. You're a dumb soldier. Why in the world would you allow the devil to have his way with you when you have the authority of Jesus Christ to say no? So don't let me come up and shove you over into the chair. If you know you're going to be shoved, get into position. Stand. Resist. 
The secret to being a Christian through which the grace of God and the love of God and the kindness of God and the mercy of God, the boldness of God, the courage of God can flow is that you have to cut off the pipeline from the devil and open up the pipeline to God. Say, God, whatever you have in this life, whatever you desire, you do. Whatever the devil has in store, nope. To be irresistible, you need to receive from God everything he intends. Shove away the devil whenever he comes. He desires to devour you, but you have a God who is greater than anything in this world. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.